2: Good evening and welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA players, legends, and top instructors go to share their insights and playing lessons. Join Chris every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time as he talks with the greats of the game. Tonight's show is sponsored by the French Lick Resort, Ben Hogan Golf, the PGA Tour Superstore, the Salt Creek Golf Retreat, TaylorMade Golf, the Bobby Jones Apparel Company, and Super Speed Golf. Now here's your host... Chris Mascaro.
0: Good evening and happy new year, folks. Welcome back to Next on the T. I am your host, Chris Mascaro, and boy, I really hope everybody out there had a wonderful holiday season and your new year is off to a great start. I uh I had a great time over the holidays with my family and friends it uh it just doesn't get any better than to get spend get to spend time with all those folks you know for a couple of weeks and uh you know having my parents and my aunt and uncle from from up in Vancouver Canada down and uh, my in-laws and obviously my my wife and kids boy it just doesn't get any better than that and and I want to kick off tonight's show by wishing my daughter Lindsay a very happy 21st birthday, one day early. She is uh, such a wonderful young woman, and honey, I love you so very much. I can't believe you're about to be 21 years old, and uh, tomorrow's going to be a great day for you, and and I love you dearly, sweetheart. All right, getting getting back to the show and kicking off 2019, and we're going to do it in grand style tonight with two absolutely fantastic guests. First up with me is going to be one of the top instructors on the planet, and that's Rob Strano. Rob's become a wonderful friend of this show over the last couple of years. You've you've probably seen Rob on the Golf Channel's Golf Academy, where he's a lead instructor sharing some of his playing lessons. He is also one of the top uh, instructors for U.S. Kids, and that happens just about every year. And uh, Rob does such a wonderful job teaching uh, the game to our junior players, plus He also does a wonderful job uh, teaching it to deaf children and, uh, and a a great job that Rob does with those, with those wonderful kids. So glad to have Rob back on the show. We're going to talk short game tonight. We're going to talk how to hit a great bump and run shot. Plus we'll talk more about the mental side of the game. Plus what advice from a teacher or another player made an impact on Rob's game when he was out playing on the, on the, you know, the PGA tour out playing as a professional. What impacted him? What touched him? What also may have been a mentor to him, who may have been a mentor to him and helping him with his teaching style. We'll talk about those things and a whole lot more when Rob joins me here in just a few minutes. Following him, I'm going to get a long overdue return visit from Bob Friend Jr. Bob first joined me here on the show all the way back on episode number three. That was the first time he joined me, episode number three, and that was in April of 2014. And, and I've always appreciated that he agreed to come on a show that he never heard of with a host he never heard of and he still did it and he was great and he's become a great friend over the years he's meant a great deal to me ever since that first time he joined me on the show we'll talk about his schedule for this upcoming playing season also the work that he's done with dr jim Suddy, who is another great instructor out there i want to get his thoughts on some of the things that dr Suddy has shared with him also want to get his thoughts on some of the rules changes that went into effect last week plus uh When he is looking at getting a caddy and having a caddy at some of the events that he's playing at now, you know what are we starting to? What is? What are some of the things that he is looking for out of his caddy? Plus, what makes that relationship work? We've seen some you know long you know standing uh, relationships between players and caddies sort of break up over uh, the last couple of months. So, want to understand from Bob what makes that relationship good, and then when does it sort of say to you, you know what? I need another voice here. And maybe I need to go in a different direction with another caddy. So we'll talk about that when Bob joins me a little bit later on in this half hour. So a lot more great stories and information coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the T. Thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me over the next hour or so. But before we get started, we want to hear a word from our good friends at the French Lick Resort and what they've got going on up there this winter. Play Legendary
2: Golf at French Lick Resort, the only place in the country where you can play courses by two Hall of Fame designers on the same property. Our Pete Dye and Donald Ross courses offer two very different challenges. Experience them both and save with our Hall of Fame package. Our two historic hotels are unique as well. Cap it off with a fun visit to the French Lick Casino. Check us out online at FrenchLick.com. Bring a group and save even more. Play Legendary Golf this season at French Lick Resort.
0: Yeah, folks, be sure to go online to Frenchlake.com to see all the wonderful things that they've got going on up there and to book your stay as well. I also want to tell you about our good friends at the Ben Hogan Golf Equipment Company. Now, folks, if you haven't hit Ben Hogan irons since the 80s or the 90s, do yourself a favor and get a demo iron of either their Fort Worth, PTX, or new edge irons. and Go out on the range and compare them to whatever you have. All Ben Hogan irons and wedges are handcrafted one at a time in their Fort Worth, Texas factory. So no mass production, no shortcuts. Now you can order custom-made irons, wedges, and hybrids by going online to BenHoganGolf.com, and they're going to build those clubs to your stations and, best of all, charge you a fraction of the typical retail price. Check out their complete line of forged irons, wedges, utility irons, hybrids, bags, and accessories by going online to BenHoganGolf.com. Please also check out our friends at the Bobby Jones Apparel Company by going online to BobbyJones.com. They've got their semi-annual sale going on right now, save up to 50% on some of their clothes. Plus, their early spring collection is out, and it looks fantastic. I got my eye on some of their polos and sweaters. I'm telling you, folks, check it out by going online to bobbyjones.com. And before we get started, you know, I always like to remind you about our good friends, you know, the Lawrence brothers, Mitch and Matthew. And Mitch, his uh, podcast is called Talking Golf Getaways, and he and his co-host Darren Bunch let you know about some great places to go play, stay, and even eat and drink while you're there. Again, their show is Talking Golf Getaways, and you can stream it online by going to golfnewsnet.com or over on audio boomer pretty much anywhere you go to consume your podcast and his twin brother, Matthew also a great friend of the show and he's got a great golf show. It's called backspin golf. His show is on hiatus now and you guys know how that's driving me nuts, but typically the show airs on WLXG ESPN radio AM 1300 up in Lexington, Kentucky. It airs Sunday mornings from eight to 9 a.m. Eastern time. Now you can go online to WLXG.com and streamline or stream some of his shows as a podcast, and so you can catch up on anything you might have missed over the last season. And, uh, you know, Matthew's show is so much fun. Matthew's great. You've you've heard him on the show with me several times. It closed out 2018 with Matthew on the show. So his show is absolutely fantastic and a lot of fun, and you can stream it online by going to WLXG.com. All right, now back with me here on the French Lick Resort guest line is Rob Strano. Let me remind you about Rob's background. He is from St. Louis, Missouri, and as a junior player in the St. Louis district, Rob won the individual low-stroke average trophy and the individual total points trophy back in 1981. He was a three-time All-Southwestern Conference and a two-time All-Area High School player. He played his college golf at Centenary College in Louisiana, and he played out on the PGA Nationwide and Hooters NGA Tours for 15 years, and he won five times. He's now one of the top instructors in the game for both kids and adults, and he is annually recognized by U.S. Kids as one of their top instructors. Plus, like you heard me say a moment ago, one of the few teachers out there teaching the game to deaf children. You've also probably seen Rob on Golf Academy on the Golf Channel, where he is a lead instructor. His Trano Golf Academy is located at Kelly Plantation in Destin, Florida, which is a beautiful facility that I got to take a peek at last summer. And I am honored to kick off 2019 with him on the show with me here on Next on the T. Hey, Rob, Happy New Year, my friend.
1: Happy New Year, Chris. Great to be on the show again in 2019. It's like it's like being in the 19th hole with you here. We got a little drink <laughs> on the bar, sitting around talking a little golf. And did you just really pull up a statistic for me from 1981? Oh, my gosh, you're, <laughs> you're going way back. You're digging deep, my friend.
0: Ah, you know, we got to we got to understand all the great things you've done as, you know, as a junior player all the way up to all the great things you're doing now. I want to make sure we're we're painting the right picture of you, my friend, because you're fantastic. Rob, I got to get your thoughts. Here we are, like we say at the beginning of 2019, New Year's resolution time for a lot of us. Do you have those? Do you make a a New Year's resolution or two for yourself at the beginning of the new year?
1: My, yeah, my New Year's resolution is just to be as awesome as you are, Chris. That's what I want to do. I'm a <laughs> I'm like setting the bar really high, no, but I'm like, you know, and if I can get close to where Chris is, I'm I'm gonna have a great 2019.
0: I appreciate you. right the bar's a little high there, but uh, you know, it's always good to have stretch goals. So good for you, my friend. It, it,
1: exactly. My my goal my goals are are pretty open ended. Um, I, I was talking to Joe Theismann the other day, the NFL quarterback. He's a a member of our course and a good friend, and he was relating some stuff to me and. He said, uh, he, he talked about Eric, Eric as, as his coach. And, and he said, you know, one thing that, that, you know, he learned from Eric that, that he's uh, applied to his life is that his ladder has no top rung to it. And that's kind of my 2019 goal is hmm. I don't want to ever have a top rung where I like I've gotten somewhere. I want to keep climbing the ladder. And no matter what it is I've got going on, I want to keep reaching and, and climbing. That's, you know, and if I get close to Chris Carl level,
0: Hey, then I'd had a great year. <laughs> I love it. So, Rob, looking ahead to to this season out on uh, the PGA Tour, I, I want to get your thought. What would you love to see happen this year? Maybe, you know, a, a great story or two that, you know, if, I, if I'm privileged enough to have you back on the show this time next year, that we're looking back on 2019 and you you would say, boy, that was a great story.
1: Oh, I think the one we're all looking at is, the week of April 8th, we're looking at Major of the Year of the Masters after the players have tuned up at the players in March since they flipped the schedule around. But I think the, the story everybody really wants to see is they want to see Tiger win at Augusta. I think if Tiger wins at Augusta with the upcoming event at, uh, back at Pebble Beach for the U.S. Open, uh, Beth Page for the PGA, and then Royal Port Rush, I, I think that that whole conglomeration of majors is going to have an incredible amount of buzz around it. So if he can and can pull off a win at Augusta after all these years and and creep a little closer to Mr. Nichols's record of 18 majors, that that's going to be a huge story. It's going to be, be a big story anyway. Um, but, but I think if we can if Tiger can pull that off, that'll be that'll be huge. But there's so many you know great young players from the Bryson D out there keeping the pin in everywhere which will be interesting to see, you know, at Augusta on those crazy sloping fast greens. If Augusta doesn't impose a local rule on their own that says, you know, you can't leave the flag in, well, you're going to see a lot of flag sticks left in at Augusta, especially on greens like 16 where you're, you're beyond the flag at 16 coming down that slope. You're going to see players leaving that thing in on the green, hoping to use it as a backstop if possible.
0: And to that end, Rob, you know, it's one of the things I wanted to get your thoughts on. And Bob Friend that later on in the show, talking about these new rules that just went into effect last week. When you look at leaving the flagstick in like that, is that how much of an advantage do you think that gives players? And is that going to be an unintended consequence that maybe the USGA and the RNA at the end of the year look back on and may want to walk that rule back?
1: A lot of unintended consequences they didn't think through as they put these rules changes in place, a lot of them we scratch our head about and go, why is this one important? This doesn't make sense. You know, the, the, the new drop rule is totally ridiculous and is a bad optic to the game. Uh, there's a picture I shared of Bryson making a drop, and he looks like a senior citizen bent over to his, you know, leaning back, making a drop from his knees. But, you know, the stick in, the interesting thought I have about it is I played a lot of golf by myself. Late in the evening, as a junior golfer, leaving the flag stick in. And I don't know if I can ever remember a time when the ball hit the flag stick and didn't stay in when it would have stayed in the hole anyway. Yeah, it could have been going too fast and would have gone six, seven feet five. But the flag stick has always worked to my advantage. And the thing to contemplate for all the listeners out there is, is when you go to the practice putting green and you're warming up, well, those little itty bitty flag sticks are in there. You're putting to those and they're hitting those on every putt. And you know what? They're not bouncing out. I think the flags begin If I'm still a tour player, my caddy's over there, bags on the ground. He's laying, laying on the ground. He's got his head on the bag, just kind of leaning back, watching the festivities because I'm leaving that bad boy in on every putt.
0: Rob, I, I want to switch gears a little bit and get some playing lessons for you because you're such a wonderful teacher of the game. But, Kind of going back to, before we get actual tips, I wanted to get you a thought. When you were playing out on tour, you were coming up as a, as a junior player and into a college years at Centenary. What were some of the best tips that your instructors gave to you that stuck with you over the years, and now you've passed it along to your students?
1: Well, under pressure, one of the ones that always sticks in my mind when you give me with that question real quick is let the big muscles do the work. Keep the little muscles passive. Try to deliver the club as best you can with the big muscle. That's one of the, the key ones that was always helpful in understanding how to deal with playing golf under high pressure. Another key one was uh, imparted to me at a young age by Mr. Bob Golby, who I have the, the privilege of knowing since I was four years old and a, uh, a master's champion. Grew up at St. Clair with the Golbies and the Hosses. But he always stressed the importance of a good grip. If your grip is good, you tend to have control of the club, and the back of the left hand he always said is what controls the club face. So if your grip is good, you can deliver the back of the left hand to the ball in the right position, and the ball will will fly pretty cleanly in the air and For example, I had a player today at the academy who had a bad grip the back of the the left hand was left hand grip was in a bad spot, put it in a good spot all of a sudden he got better control of the ball flight because he was able to deliver the left hand correctly to the ball at impact.
0: And Rob, I was looking at some of the great videos that you have available that either on the golf or over on your site, golf.com. And one of them has to deal with visualizing your putt going in, but not seeing it go, you know, not necessarily looking at, you know, seeing it when it goes into the hole, but visualizing it at the speed that you want it to travel. And for as long as that speed, is going to take it to go into the hole. Talk about why that's important. What's funny is,
1: is most of the time making the putt is is more mental than physical. And it's think about when you hit a putt and you miss it, you drop another ball, and you make the second one. Well, you hit the second one right because you've seen the first one correctly. If players would just spend an extra second or two behind the ball and see that ball roll in and see it roll at the correct speed and roll in. It's like mentally making it first. Then you go up, set up, and say, well, I've already made it in my mind. Let me just go and physically now knock it in. You'll find you'll make more putts. But what players do is get it real quick because they see everybody else doing it. They're not really doing anything except going through the motions, and they see the ball roll too fast to the hole because they're seeing it happen in one second in their brain. Well. One second in your brain, that ball is going way too fast on the line you're intending it to go on, and that doesn't jive with what you're trying to do when you get over it, and you're just crossing wires. So what I'll tell everybody to do is take an extra three or four seconds after you line it up, put the ball down, pull your mark, go back, see the ball rolling on your intended speed at the right line, and it will give you a better feel over the ball. When you actually go to hit it, I bet you make more punts in 2019.
0: And Rob, a shot that I struggle with is hitting my three wood off the fairway. I frequently, I'm topping it or I'm chunking it and that sort of thing. And another video you have is getting more confident with that shot based on a tip that Jerry Hoth shared with you. Do you mind sharing that with our audience? Absolutely. It was
1: the, the last event on the web.com tour back in 90. Gosh, here we go. And you go back in the archives. Ninety-four, we were out in Santa Rosa, California, in wine country, and Jerry and I are getting ready to go out and play a practice round, and he's hitting three woods on the range there, and he's hitting him off a tee, and he's got him teed pretty high. And I said, I said, uh, I said Jerry, what are you doing? He said, I've I, I played with you since I was a little kid. I know, you know how hit, know you, I know you know how to hit a three wood. What's going on? He said, I've just been struggling with it a little, little bit lately. I want to get a little confident. So he said he was teeing it up a little bit higher than normal to hit some good, confident shots, and then he was gradually lowering it just an eighth of an inch at a time, you know, with each ball, to where basically by the time he got it down to grasp level, it was like you sitting off the turf, and he had hit successful shots each time he had lowered the ball. And that's how he gained confidence doing it, and it's just really kind of a very logical thing to do.
0: Rob, what about when we need to hit – a firm, low shot, like when you know, maybe we've hit the ball into the trees and we need to keep the ball low underneath the branches, or if it's a, just a windy day outside and we want to keep the ball low into the wind. Talk about a tip that we can do that will help us pull off that shot.
1: That goes to something that Jerry Pate told me, Trevino told him. I was playing with Jerry Pate one day, and we had a par three over water. It was into a really heavy wind, and it was normally a, an eight-iron par three, but we were hitting five iron. And I hit a five-iron that got about two-thirds of the way, got beaten by the wind and dropped down about ten yards short in the water. And it, it did a nice little Greg Luganis entry into the pond. You know, would have been a, a 10.0 from the judges. And he threw me another ball, and he said, I want you to hit this shot, but when you swing back, don't cock your wrist. Keep your wrist action as firm as you can. He said, Trevino told him, take the hands out of that shot, and the ball will go through the ball a little – the ball will go through the wind a little more like a bullet, and it won't have all that spin in it. And sure enough, I hit the next one, and it just went right through the wind like I fired it out of a gun and went up there on the green about 15, 20 feet. I've always remembered that tip. And you see players get in the trees all the time, and they have an overhanging limb, and the ball shoots right up into the branch. So I move the ball back in my stance and lean the shaft forward to keep the ball down. Yeah, but if you do that, and you throw a lot of wrist cock and hinge into it and come down and unload the club, you're just going to spin it right up into the branches and into the trees. So move it back, yes. Lean your weight forward, yes. A little 60-40 lean. But then in your backswing like a beginner would, don't cock your wrist. Keep your wrist as firm as you can, and you'll hit that nice little low shot out of the trees and get that ball out of trouble, and you'll find you can play some really efficient shots low into the wind or low out of trouble.
0: And Rob, talking about shaft lean, one of the other areas that I know I struggle with is bunker play. And and one of the mistakes that many of us make is sort of going in there, taking our normal stance. Bad things start to happen. We dig or we skull or that sort of thing. Talk about what the proper setup and shaft angle should be when we find ourselves in a bunker.
1: Okay, great question. And I'm going to relate two simple things. Uh, number one is if you get a chance, go online, go to YouTube find some video of the great Seve Ballesteros hitting bunker shots. What you'll notice is, is that feet are out, knees are out. So he looks like he's sitting on a horse. If you hit yourself like you're sitting on a horse, rear end low, knees out, feet out, it stabilizes and locks the lower body down a little bit and takes away a lot of the lower body sliding and thriving action in the bunker. Do that in your setup. Then shaft angle. If we're hitting a shot off the fairway, we'll have a little forward shaft wing. But in the bunker, you want to keep that shaft virtually straight up and down and shallow. So the angle to the sand is shallow, but the shaft should either be leaning forward or leaning back. You want it kind of straight and neutral so you can, unlike the low shot, get lots of, lots of wrist and hand action going back and then really unload that wrist and hand action shallowly to the sand, flipping the ball out of the bunker on a nice little shallow little cut of sand and One way to practice that, which no one ever does, is go to the bunker without a golf ball and just practice shallowly hitting little passes through the sand. If you train yourself to hit shallow little cuts of sand without a ball, you can certainly do it with the ball.
0: And, Rob, one of the things we talk a lot about on this show is sort of all the negative self-talk we do to ourselves out on the golf course. How can we do a better job of being our own best friend out there?
1: I, what's interesting is, you know, when you think about how you talk to your buddies, when you, your buddy will hit a bad shot, and you'll go, hey, that's okay. You'll get him on the next swing. Or, you know, that's okay. Forget about that hole. You'll get him on the next hole. But we never, ever talk to ourselves that way. It's as if, you know, we're our own worst enemy. We're we're kind of a trash-talking ourselves. And I, I relate it with this little, little metaphor. Chris, if I gave you a sticky bag of garbage and I said, I want you to carry that around for 18 holes, put it on your shoulder like Santa Claus and carry it around for 18 holes. Would you do that for 18 holes for me? No. No, I hope not, okay? But that's what we do when we we trash talk ourselves. We're a garbage man. We're we're just heaping stinky garbage on ourselves as we play and deride ourselves and cut ourselves down. It doesn't work. Go out in 2019, make a deal with yourself as a player, all the listeners, make a deal and say, you know what? I'm going to go out there and I'm going to talk to myself the way I talk to my friends and root myself on and be my own best cheerleader on every shot and every hole. And number one, you'll find you'll play better golf. And number two, you're going to find you have more fun out there because you're not wallowing around around in the mud and the muck and the garbage that you've kind of imposed on yourself as a player.
0: Rob, just a couple more before we let you go. And and one of the, the many great things I love about you as a person is your enthusiasm, you know, for life or the, certainly for the game of golf. How do you keep your junior players just as enthused as you are, whether it's practicing or doing all the little things that they're going to need to do in order to be successful when it comes time to play in tournaments?
1: Well, we keep them enthused and we, and we, and we keep them engaged by making practice fun. So we, we create fun little practice games that we do, and and we kind of create a, a building block mentality. We're going to build their game one block at a time and help them learn in fun ways to do things. And a lot of times we relate golf. We may have them grab a tennis racket and hit a forehand and understand that's the fun way we hit a golf shot, or throw a ball and hey, there's the footwork. So we will light things, We keep it fun. We keep it light and. And we we keep our our expectations realistic with the kids we coach. Um, you know, it, it's easy to to get into the expectation of I want to be a tour player. I want to be a tour player. Well, you know, we talk to them about the reality of that, the work that goes into that, the selfish nature you have to go into into having that to to play the tour, and and all that, and the motivation of of keeping them pointed towards goals, helping them understand. Their ladder doesn't have a top rung. You work as hard as you want and climb as high as you can go. And we, we keep praising them for the, the, small, the small steps they make. And by doing that, they, they tend to leave with a smile on their face all the time.
0: And, Rob, your golf school is located on uh, Kelly Plantation Golf Club in Destin, Florida. I got to see a little bit when we met there last summer, and the facility looks absolutely fantastic. Talk about your golf school there and the course in general
1: is in great shape right now. Uh, you know, we've we've got um, new greens that are rolling really good. They're rolling ten or eleven every day on the centimeter. Um, it's a it's a Fred Couples design right on Choctahachi Bay so there's some great views. Destin's a great place to come to the beach. I have a lot of players they, they come to the beach for vacation. They, they they get the family down to situated and they, they say I'll be back in a little bit and they come over and grab a lesson with me and get their get their games going for the year. I have a lot of a lot of spring birds that come in, and uh, they they steal a couple hours with me, and they go back, and their buddies are going, "Dang, your game's pretty good for April the third. What do you where you been practicing?" And they 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 kind of are, are very shy about telling them I was down in Destin with with Rob Strano from the Golf Channel improving my game. So it's it's not good for my marketing, but it's good for their game.
0: <laughs> Indeed. Rob, before we let you go, remind our listeners how they can stay up to date with all the great things you're doing, both uh, on your website and on social media as well.
1: Well, you can find everything I've got going on at StranoGolf.com. dot com. I'm pretty easy to find online if you just Google Rob Strano. There's a lot of good stuff out there. On social media you'll find me at Strano Golf Academy, Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Um also my personal account on Facebook is Rob Strano. Where I post a lot of you know inspirational thoughts also. Um, Coming up, uh, the big news in 2019 is you can find me in a new spot. Um, We're putting together the pieces or the building block for, and that is the Golf Kingdom TV hosted by Rob Strano. I'll have my own TV show. It'll be um, aired regionally down here. It'll be streamed so people around the country can see it. It'll be on the, uh, the app for the network. I'll also have an app for the show, a website for the show, and a bunch of cool little things going on around the show that are things no one's doing right now. I'm gonna leave it at that, Chris, but there's some things Ooh. we're doing that no one's figured out but me. And I'm gonna deliver golf kingdom content to you in places no one else is doing it. So that's called a tease in our industry. And <laughs> yes, i that,
0: my friend. That is a heck of a tease. I'm looking forward to watching that and hearing all about it and streaming the show. Rob, congratulations on that. That's very exciting news and a great way to kick off 2019. Good luck, my friend. You are so fantastic. Well, I can't thank you enough for being a part of the show tonight. I hope you'll come back soon, and I can't wait to watch you.
1: Well, thanks so much. Looking forward to it. I mean, the show content is all mine. I'm going to do fun stuff that's never been done on, on a golf instruction program. And I, I just look forward to following your continued success in 2019 and feel honored to kick off the year as your, your first guest. And Bob, friend after you is a is a great player and a great guest, and we both had the same link with Jim Study. Jim was my coach as a tour player, and there isn't a finer coach or man in the land than Dr. Jim Studdy.
0: Nah, uh, well, I appreciate you saying that, and and I, I again appreciate your time. Happy New Year to you and your family, Rob. I look forward to catching up with you again soon, my friend.
1: Thanks a bunch. Good talking to you, Chris.
0: See you, Rob. That is a great Rob Strano. StranoGolf.com is where you can find him now and, and follow him on uh, on Twitter and Instagram. Can't wait for the TV show. Now that's going to be, uh, you know, again, what a great tee, stuff that nobody's ever done before and no one's thought, be, uh, thought to do outside of, outside of Rob. So I'm sure it's going to be fantastic. And again, one of the great things about Rob, not only is he a wonderful instructor and he's a 10 times better person than he is an instructor. So that tells you how great it is to be around Rob. But I love his enthusiasm for life, his enthusiasm for the game, and no top rung on his ladder. Boy, it just doesn't get any better than that. Look forward to getting Rob back on the show again real soon. All right, before I get to my next guest, Bob Friend Jr., I want to remind you about a few of our sponsors. First, I want to give a shout-out to our friends over at Superspeed Golf. Now used by over half of the tour players around the world, Superspeed Golf is the fastest and most effective way to increase your swing speed. Three eight-minute training sessions per week are all you need to see a 5% increase in your swing speed. And they've got sets for golfers of all ages and over one year of included video instruction as well. Superspeed offers a complete solution that's going to help you start bombing it off the tee. Visit them online at superspeedgolf.com to pick up your set today. I also want to remind you about my M4 driver and hopefully very soon the M5 from, uh, from TaylorMade Golf. And if you haven't tried their Twist Face technology, folks, you're missing out. I don't know about you but I don't hit it in the center of the face every single time. And after studying hundreds of thousands of swings from both pros and amateurs like us, Taylor may designed their new drivers to protect us from our miss hits and give us straighter distance as well. So whether your miss hit is on the low heel or the high toe twist face up, bring that ball back to center, keeping the distance we want and finding the fairway more often. And I'm hitting more fairways than I ever have. Their new drivers are also, also the choice of some pretty good golfers. You might recognize twist face is played by Tiger Woods. Rory McIlroy, Dustin Johnson, Jason Day, and John Rahm, to name just a few, and dominating the top 10 out on tour. So if you haven't hit it, twist face, go do it, Get hit it, and get fit as well. And it is available in their new M3, M4, and now coming out with the M5 and M6 drivers, and only from TaylorMade. And, folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends over at the PGA Tour Superstore.
2: This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the
0: show. And now back in making his 11th appearance with me here on the French Lick Resort guest line is another one of my all-time favorite guests, and that is Bob Friend, Jr., Let me remind you about Bob's background. He's from my hometown of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, played his college golf at LSU, where he and David Toms and the rest of their LSU teammates won the 1986 SEC Championship. He had 11 career top 10 finishes while he he was playing at LSU. He won the Pennsylvania State Championship in back-to-back years in 1984 and 85, and he turned pro in 1987, played out on the nationwide PGA and Champions Tours. He had five top 10 finishes his rookie year on the web.com tour, including a second place finish at the El Paso Open. Got his first win at the 1991 Fort Wayne Open. Had five top 10 finishes in 1994 and three more in 97. And all, he finished in the top 10 27 times. Football fans are going to remember Bob's father, Bob Friends Sr., who pitched in the major leagues from 1951 to 1966, mostly with the Pittsburgh Pirates and was a key member of their 1960 World Series championship team that beat the Yankees. Bob has been a great friend of the show for nearly five years now, and I am thrilled to have him back with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Bob, how are you, my friend? Happy New Year. Thanks for joining me tonight. Happy
2: New Year, Chris. I am delighted to be with you. And back here in dreary old Pittsburgh where it's 40 and raining.
0: (laughs) No doubt.
2: It's 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 unbelievable. What do you do with 40 and rain? You don't do anything with it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you don't. So, Bob, first of all, I want to thank you for joining me, not only for the 11th time tonight, but also, like I mentioned at the top of the show, and you probably don't remember this, but you first joined me way back on episode number three of this show in April of 2014, and tonight is episode 218. So, you know, you were one of the very first to come on the show, and I really appreciate the fact that not only did you come on the show, but you came on a show you never heard of with with a host you never heard of. And you've been a wonderful friend over nearly five years now. So I wanted to start out tonight by thanking you for that.
2: Well, Chris, thank you very much for that. It, look, number one, the first time that uh, I was on your show, uh, I was amazed at your knowledge. Uh, you're prepared. And, you know, when, when I was at LSU, as you alluded to, I, I played at LSU with David Toms. Uh, we ended up having a total of four guys playing the PGA Tour uh, from that team myself, Emlyn Aubrey, who's Rob Strano knows coaches at Centenary Centenary in uh, Shreveport where it's uh, Rob is a centenary guy and um, Emlyn Aubrey played on tour for eight years on the PGA Tour and Charles rollerson played one year and then obviously David Toms, who has had a meteoric uh, career um, but the fact is is that you're you know you're, you're, my, my golf coach said uh, you always have to pay attention to the five Ps which is proper preparation prevents poor performance. And uh, you're prepared. And uh, every time I come on the show, um, it's a it's a great interview. And uh, again, I mean, you've done your homework, and uh,
0: it's, I'm delighted to be a part of it. Uh, well, I appreciate you saying that, Bob. It means a great deal to me. Before we get into all the golf stuff tonight, I got to check in with you. How's your father doing?
2: It's uh, it's ironic you ask that because I actually made both he and my mother dinner tonight. Uh, oh. My dad's great. He's he, oh yeah, he's 88 years old. I live five minutes away from the here in Pittsburgh. And uh, my dad's 88. He is in great health. He's sharp as all get out. My mother is 83. She is in great health, and um, she is in gr- she's mentally she's as good as they come. Physically she's doing well. And uh, I went up and I made a little. I made them uh, maple glazed salmon tonight. And wow. uh, My father. My father's a very picky eater, and uh, he cleaned his plate. So I must have done something well. But he's doing very well. <laughs> he's uh, he's very active in the Pittsburgh Pirate Alumni Association and uh, sees, you know, the guys from uh, from his team and from all the guys uh, that are still alive that have played for the Pittsburgh Pirates at one time. The Pittsburgh Pirate Alumni is very active in charitable donations and charitable uh, raising of money. And, uh, you know, they do a wonderful job. I play in the golf tournament every year. And each year, uh, their single-day golf tournament raises over $100,000 each year the last 33 years so blast and all those guys uh they all come out and it's a it's a great day but my dad's doing very well thank you for asking
0: and bob you've been playing some great golf up there in the in the pennsylvania sectional tournaments for the last few years so i wanted to kind of get your get your schedule for 19 are are we going to see you out playing in, in some of the tournaments and might we catch you out on the champions tour as well
2: well, I tell you what I've done. I have uh, I've made I've done very well in the section championship. I've won the uh, I've won the Tri-State Section Senior Professional Championship and have also won a, a regular section championship against the young flat bellies. Uh, shot 64 at Allegheny, and I also won the. Uh, the Tri-State Senior Professional Championship shooting 67-69 at Indiana Country Club. Um, this coming year, I am looking forward to playing in the U.S. Senior Open. I'm going to try to qualify for the U.S. Open. Probably my last time I'll try to qualify. I ended up playing in four U.S. Opens. But because it's at Pebble Beach, which is in my top five, I feel I've got to give that a crack. And then I'm going to take a look to see. I, I spend a lot of time working in the real estate business, and uh, it's one of those things where – If I get off to a very good start with the real estate business, it's going to allow me to open my schedule up and do some qualifying and try to get into some Champions Tour events this coming year.
0: Bob, switching gears a little bit, we've had a lot of rules changes go into effect last week. And I'm curious to get your thoughts on some of them, starting with the ability to leave the stick in, something Rob was talking about uh, a lot uh, in the first segment. But when you're playing a course like, you know, and you've played Oakmont a million times, when you're playing a course like an Oakmont or a Pebble Beach, you know with leaving the stick in I've got to believe is an advantage. What's your thoughts about these guys starting to leave the flag stick in uh just about on every hole?
2: Oh, I think it's a big advantage. Especially so it's a great point that you make. Playing, you know, when you're when you're playing at your local club um and they do a wonderful job and it it's uh, at the end of the day is that everybody aspires to be Augusta. everybody aspires to be Oakmont, Marion, Pebble Beach. The fact of the matter is to maintain green speeds at 12, 13, 14 is extraordinarily expensive. Uh, It takes a very, very big grounds budget to be able to do that. So most of the clubs that people play, the greens are rolling around 10, 9, or 10, which is funny fast enough. Um, They're not going to notice as big of a difference. But when you're playing a golf course such as Oakmont, such as Pebble Beach this year for the U.S. Open, We've got greens that have tremendous speed and also have tremendous break and undulation. It's a big advantage, especially on those five footers, those four footers where you're thinking, geez, you know, man, maybe, maybe I, maybe I aim it just outside and kind of die it in. It, 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 what it does, it's going to allow you to take a lot of the break out of those pots that you normally would try to die in on the side because of the speed. And you're going to see a lot more guys make a lot more pots. I, I, frankly, I, you know, look, I think the USGA, when they did this sort of stuff to really to speed up play. Um, but the fact, the matter is, is that I, 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 I it's, it's kind of like it's, it's going to change the game a little bit. I think it's going to change the scoring a little bit. And it's it's going to get to a point where you really, you know, if you're looking at, at this era compared to the era, of, you know, five years ago or two years ago. It's, it's going to make it hard to com- it, you're going to kind of be comparing apples to oranges because I do think it with a, with a green such as Augusta National and, and, and Pebble Beach. We're going to be back at Oakmont 2025. The, a lot of the very tricky putts that are very difficult to read. The player's going to say, you know, I'm going to leave the pin in and I'm just going to hit it firm. I'm going to take the breakout, take the guesswork out of it. You're going to see a lot of that. Um, I think that one of the greens, I think that one of the things that, that is long overdue. Um, is the ability to repair spike marks on the grains. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm 55 years old. Uh, my rookie year on the PGA Tour was 1992. As you alluded to, my web.com career, which is, was a very nice career, um, by the time I had won and all the years that I'd played later on, I was in the good category in terms of being able to um, – I was in the what was called referred to as the, the so-called B category which is basically teeing off in the middle of the field. I never had to worry about bringing the pins in late in the afternoon playing on the web.com tour on the PGA tour. I did Uh, my rookie year on the PGA tour. You've got what, what your, what your listeners have to understand is the way the tee times are, you've got an A category, a B category, a C category. Uh, The A category are, you know, the guys that are uh, top 125 from the prior year And they've got lifetime cuts and this, that, and the other. They're they're going off early in the day. The B category is the guys that have won. uh, They're members of the Ryder Cup, the President's Cup. They go off in the middle of the field. The C category, the guys that are just getting the cards from the web.com tour. If you are playing in that C category and you are the last person to come in in 1992 when people were still wearing metal spikes, By Friday afternoon, late afternoon, the greens were virtually unputtable. Literally, it it, it looked like a Plinko board. And so now when you go and you take a look at it, um, my gosh, I mean, what would have looked like, you know, 25, 26 years ago had we been allowed to repair spike marks? So I think that's going to be the biggest thing. And that could also slow it down a little bit on the PGA Tour. But the ability to repair spike marks, you've got no excuses now. Because anymore, you see somebody go and they jerk a three-foot putt, and the first thing you do is they – they take that putter and they tamp down that uh that mystical or mythical uh spike mark or blemish in the green. Now you've got no excuse now you've got no more excuses. You either miss it or you don't.
0: So when you look at some of the other rules changes, the drop has come into you know with uh, Bryson DeChambeau over the weekend, you know, kinda of looking silly out there and, and some of the other things that uh, have changed. Are are there others you say, hey, about time this changed? And others that you think, you know what? Boy, I think they're going to have to rethink this one at the end of the season.
2: I think the drop they're going to have to rethink. I, I just again, I, I saw the I saw the machinations with with Bryson, and Bryson's a very intelligent guy, unbelievable player. But I, again, I mean, what what is the problem with drop, dropping dropping at the shoulder height? You and I are both of the age. Remember, we had to drop it behind our shoulder. Yes. If you go back and if you go back and you take a look, and I believe they made that change like in the late 80s. Or early 90s where you could actually reach out, face the hole, and drop the ball at, our shoulders, at shoulder height. Before, you actually had to grab the ball, look at the target, face away from the target, and drop your ball over your shoulder. Now, you remember that? Yes. Yeah, and so now here we are. We've got, you know, Bryson DeChambeau looks like he's doing the uh, – He looks like he's doing a little jig or something like that, trying to get his knees down and everything else. I mean, drop the ball at shoulder height. I think it's just ridiculous that we're doing that. I like the idea of the the out of bounds. I think a lot of this sort of stuff is that, you know, 99% of the people that play the game, number one, they don't really pay attention to the rules. Number two, they don't know the rules. So I just think, I think, you know, you sit there and, you know, you're playing in your Saturday group and, a guy whips the ball out of bounds, and the guy goes up there, you look for it, you can't find a guy, just drops one out anyway. So that's kind of a common sense thing. I think that what the USGA needs to take a look at, I think the next thing to come down the road is getting relief from Divot. I think that uh, the way that they are going, the way that they are softening the game, and in my opinion, these rules are a little bit of a softening of the game, um, I think the next thing you're going to see is you're going to be able to get relief from uh, from a ball in the Divot.
0: Bob, well, switching gears a little bit, and one of the things that other players have said about you, and I've had them on the show, and you've either played with them, whether it was in college or out on one of the tours, is you've gotten more out of your ability than maybe anybody else ever on tour, because you're always such a very hard worker. How much do you think a player's success is based on talent, and how much is based on hard work and preparation?
2: Oh, I, it's easily 90% on hard work and preparation. I mean, it, it is, you know, I take a look back at it, and and you know, I have I have athletic genes. You know, I had a very good amateur career. Um, but when you go and you compare the talent level that I have with say like an Ernie Ells or a Davis Love or a Tiger Woods, you know, I wasn't I wasn't in their league. And certainly I didn't have a career such as they did. But what I the only thing that I could control was my preparation and my outlook. Um I started working with Bob Rotella in nineteen ninety two, which was a huge, huge win for me. Uh really got me gave me the ability to properly think on the golf course. And give me a relax on the golf course a lot more, but but the only thing that I could really control was my ability to outwork everybody else. I go back and I take a look at it, and I take a look at some of these guys that are stamped, and there have been from when I was a teenage kid all the way until now. You've got these amateurs and these juniors that are they're basically marked can't miss, and they miss. And what the difference is, it's basically attitude, and it, it is, and it's it's the work ethic. I know that. Uh, my dad was known as a workhorse with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, he missed, uh, he went 12 years without missing a start. Um, I know against the Cubs in the 50s, he won both games of doubleheader. Uh, and my dad, wow. you know, I asked him about his long, oh, yeah, I asked him about his longevity. You know, why is it that you're able to pitch for so long without any arm issues? And he said, because I throw baseball every day. He said, you would sit there and you, you know, we didn't have pitch counts when I pitched. And he said, I, he said, as soon as it, as the first day of spring training started, the last game of the season, he said, I might have pitched the nine inning game against the Braves, 150 pitches. The next day I would throw 75 pitches with my battery mate. And I threw every single day. And he said, and it's, a, it's the same thing with me. My father, since I was a kid, was always asking me, what are you willing to do? You got to do whatever it takes. And so I just, I just have this work ethic in me. And the same thing is with my real estate career. I mean, I wake up at 536 every day and I usually, I I work on with real estate and with clients and answer the phones and on the internet and on the emails till ten o'clock at night. And I do it every single day. And in my second year in real estate, I've sold over nine million dollars in real estate. In the Pittsburgh market, that's quite a big number. Now if you're in South Florida or New York or California, it's not. In Pittsburgh, that's quite a large number. And I it's basically from out outworking people. And it's what you know, my I have a son that's playing college golf at Central Alabama Community College. Andrew is 19 years old. He is so tremendously talented, it's scary. He, he produces effortless power, has a swing speed of 115 to 118. His lines are fantastic. And uh, as I heard Rob talk about Jim Study, Dr. Study looked at him, and Dr. Study is like he is unbelievable. But Andrew has to learn how to work, and he has to, he has to understand that talent it only gets you about 10% of the way. 90% of the way is your attitude, your unwillingness to be defeated or to accept defeat and learn from every single situation that you're in and just flat out, outwork everybody else, period. And that's, that's why I was able to, you know, spend 17 years playing professional golf, nine years on the web, five years on the PGA tour, four years on the champions tour. It's just from, it's from hard work. And it was just, you've you've got a goal and you've got a burning desire. And it's, you know, my golf coach at LSU used to say, do not be denied. And it's just kind of that attitude you've got to have, especially to make it on the PGA Tour.
0: And Bob, let's take that a step further. Talk about what your preparation was like, because you can't just show up for a tournament on, you know, Wednesday or Thursday and go play, right? What was what went into your preparation? What were the things that you did all week long in order to get the most out of your game? Well,
2: what I tried to do is I tried to number one, I went, I you know, my father from from one it was always Even to this day, I mean, I was up there tonight. I mean, as I said, I made, I made a beautiful maple-glazed salmon for my parents. I said, okay, I cleaned the dishes for them. They're sitting there hanging the watch and watching television. I my head outdoors. Out he says, okay, get sleep. Get your rest. My father's been telling me that since I was about 15 years old. Get your rest. So number one is I get my sleep. I was always, I was always in bed by about 10 o'clock. Um, I wasn't one of those guys who was out there hanging out late at night. to said, you know, I'm in bed by 10. The other thing is that, you know, you get up early, you stretch, you get to the golf course. And what I would do is I would usually – I played a lot of practice rounds with Brett Quigley and David Toms on tour, and Emlyn Aubrey as well. And we'd we'd have a ball near by about 7.30 on Tuesday morning. Uh, we'd play nine holes. And then I would usually go in, and, and practice for a few hours, have lunch, stretch a little bit, work on a short game. And I'd go back out and I'd play nine holes in the afternoon. The reason I did that was because I wanted to see what the greens felt like and the golf course looked like in the morning and also in the afternoon because I knew I was going to be playing in the afternoon, at least one of the first two days. And then on the weekends, I was was planning on playing late in the afternoon. Um, The other thing that I did every single year, every Tuesday, uh, every year for, oh God, for 12, 14 years, was I worked on my wedge game in terms of my distance control. So what I would do is I would have my caddy, he would walk out onto the range with three towels. I had three wedges in my bag. And to this day, I still do. A 48 a uh, 56 and a 60-degree wedge, and my caddy would walk out, and he would place a towel at 65 yards, 80 yards, and 100 yards on the range. And I'd shoot him with my laser, and um, I literally would sit there and hit balls for about two hours, landing balls on those towels at those distances. 65 was my 60-degree, 80 was my 56, and 48 was my 105. And those are three-quarter shots with each of those wedges. So as, as Hogan used to refer to, he would refer to as arming arming a shot. So it's basically a three-quarter shot with each of those wedges. So it became very, very deadly with distance control. And my my forte when I played on tours, I drove the ball very, very accurate. Uh, my, you know, 1998 was my best year on tour. I finished 12th in driving accuracy, and I think Freddie Funk gave me by like a point and a half um, in terms of percentage. So I, I drove the ball very accurately. I wasn't long, but I knew that I could wedge the ball. So when you're able to drive the ball and play, you've got a great wedge game, you know, you don't have to hit it. You don't have to hit all the par fives and two. Um It, it makes you, you, you really rack up a lot of birdies when your wedge game is really good. So I worked on the wedge game a lot. I worked on the short game a lot. And then the night before, I would basically go through my head in terms of how I was going to play each hole. And then when I woke up in the morning, this is the most important thing, is that when I woke up in the morning before I stepped out of bed, I would work on getting myself in a proper frame of mind before I ever got out of bed. And that proper frame of mind is this no matter what happens, nothing is going to bother me. See, the one thing you have got to understand is this. In the game of golf, no matter who you are, no matter whether you're a Tiger Woods or a Bear in the Woods, as soon as the golf ball leaves the club face, you have absolutely zero control over what happens. None. The only thing you can control are your reactions to what happens. That's mental toughness. Ball, you, know, you hit the ball down the center of the fairway, bad bounce, ball goes in the trees. You can't do anything about that, but you can control your reaction to that. And so before I ever my, my feet ever hit the floor out of bed, I made it, I made it a point that I was going to enjoy the opportunity to compete, and no matter what happened, nothing was going to bother me. And, and it, you know, that, that's how you play great golf.
0: Bob, just a couple more before I let you go. When you're either working on your own game or more often when you are working with a younger player or particularly with your son, there's a difference yeah. in practicing your golf swing and playing golf, playing the game of golf. How do you right. teach your younger kids or your son how to play golf? That's it.
2: Chris. Again, you know, this is why this is why I enjoy coming on your show because you always ask great questions. Well, here's how you take your game to the golf course. Um, you know, my golf coach, Buddy Alexander at LSU, uh, he had a great saying, and the great saying was, "On the golf on the golf course, you take swings on the practice range." You make swings. So what I try to instill upon my son is this. So let's say, you know, we all want to go to the golf range, the driving range with two things. We want to go there with intent. What am I trying to accomplish? Number two, a You want to give it your full attention. You know, Jack Nicklaus, the greatest player of all time, um, had the ability to compartmentalize his mind. When he was at business, when he was designing golf courses, dealing with his empire, he never thought about golf. When he was at the golf course, he shut everything out. So it's the same thing when you go to the range. Number one, know what you're working on, and number two, go there with attention. Give it your attention. So when I work with my son, and I, I gave a lesson to a young man, I don't give a lot of lessons. I I, I don't. I, and look, I love everybody that plays a game of golf at all levels. I don't have a desire to work with somebody that is 60 years old, hits ground balls, and I'm going to work with them for an hour, and they're not going to hit a golf ball for the next month and come out and see me again. That doesn't interest me at all. I work with young players. Who have the desire and have the ability to work on their game. So what I tell my son, what I tell my young players, and what I will tell all of your listeners is, when you go to the golf court, you go to the range. Number one, know what you're working on. Number two, give it your intention. And number number three is this: for every 10 golf balls you hit, six of them should be working on what you're trying to accomplish in the golf. Swing. Okay? If you can film it, you know you've got a uh, you've got a selfie stick or whatnot. If you can film it. To where you can actually take a look at your lines and make sure everything is what you want it to do and, and what you're trying to accomplish. Then what you're going to do is you're going to take your aiming rod or your golf shaft away, you know, where you're, you're getting your aim. You throw that away, and you hit four balls where you're just trying to shape golf shot. Pick out a target. Try to hit high, a high cut. Try to hit a high draw. Try to hit a low cut, a low draw. Picture the shot. Go through your routine. Then bring the aiming stick back. Get it set up. Hit six shots working on your swing four shots working on your routine, trying to shape the golf ball. And then that's going to prepare you better for getting out in the golf course.
0: And, Bob, to take that one step further, we frequently hear people talk about, hey, th- there's a difference in playing golf, playing tournament golf, and then playing on the PGA Tour, which su- suggests to me it's it, you know a lot about the mental side and the pressure involved. But what are the differences between those, th- those three things, golf, tournament golf, and on the PGA Tour?
2: Well, it, you know, frankly, um, if you want to play tournament golf, the best way to get there is to treat it just like any other round, such as golf. So, you're, you're correct, Bobby Jones was was, it was a great coma from this. So, there's golf and there's tournament golf. Well, tournament golf and PGA Tour golf are basically the same thing in that you've got to be able to control your emotions. You know, the difference between the tour player and the amateur playing in the club championship or whatnot, the amateur feels those butterflies coming, feels the nervous ice ball in their stomach and they they panic. The tour player feels the same thing. The tour player feels the, I mean every single tournament that I played on the PGA Tour, I got people watching me, people around the tee. I was nervous, but I welcomed that as an old friend and I just kind of laughed it off saying, "Man, I'm nervous. This is great. Isn't this the greatest thing in the world? I never panic. I got into my routine." So I would say in terms of taking a golf, taking the taking it from golf to tournament golf, you have to find a routine mentally. And go out there, and number one, you got to make sure that the number one goal you have is to have fun. And that's even whether you're playing tournament golf on the PGA Tour just going out there with your friends. If you go out there to have – then your number one goal is to have fun. When you're having fun, you're relaxed. When you're having fun, you're focused. When you're having fun, you're in the present tense.
0: Bob, before we let you go, remind our listeners how they can stay up to date with all the great things you're doing, whether it's online, on social media, and also talk about uh, your real estate business as well.
2: Well, online, um, I'm at Bob Friend at HowardHanna.com. I work for Howard Hanna as my broker, and, uh, we're the, we're the eighth largest, we're the third largest real estate company in the United States. We only operate in eight states. So it's Bob Friend at HowardHanna.com. In terms of my golf feed, it's basically on Twitter, and that's at Bob Friend underscore golf. And, um, you know, I go then, especially when the golf season starts to kick up, I start to, I start to chirp a little bit. Uh, I watch golf. I love the game of golf. And, uh, you know, I read through Twitter. I watch Golf Channel and listen to Brandel and Gary Williams and all these guys. And, uh, you know, it's just it's the greatest game in the world. It uh, it has provided me with the living, has provided me with a life that I now enjoy. And, um, you know, speaking of that, with the Armed Forces Radio Network, I want to say thank you to all the men and women that serve in the Armed Forces. Uh, you provide the blanket of freedom and liberty that we all live under and can't thank you enough.
0: Well, Bob, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show and being a part of the show as often as you have over, i say, like I say, almost five years now. Uh, you're fantastic, my friend, and uh, every time you come on, we learn an awful lot about the game, and uh, I can't thank you enough for continuing to do it.
2: Well, Chris, we're going to have to do an Oakmont trip this summer, maybe sometime in September. All right.
0: I'll take you up on that now.
2: You got uh, You got to take me up on that this year, all right?
0: You got it. I appreciate you, Bob. All right, Chris. Take care. God All bless the best Chris to you Chris, and your thanks family. so much. All Thank right, you, take Chris. care, Bob. bye now. That is the great Bob Friend, Jr., and, uh, boy, I, you know, so insightful. And, boy, you know, I want to talk about being thankful for about, you know, a show to kick off 2019. It doesn't get any better than kicking it off with Rob Strano and Bob Friend, Jr. You know, between the playing lessons, the tips, the mental side, and, I, you know, everything in between all of that, uh, boy, I, I can't think of a better way to have kicked off this new year. And I can't thank both of those guys uh, enough for being a part of the show tonight. And I can't thank you all enough for listening. When we think about what we want to do on this show, the, you know two of the most important things are to you know, bring you great guests and uh, be insightful, share their stories, share their insights and their playing lessons. The other thing on top of that is just bringing you great people. And uh, Rob and Bob uh, certainly personify that both great guys. You know, they're, they're great players. They're great instructors, but both are 10 times better people than they are, you know, with anything that they do on the golf course. And uh, those are the things that I'm looking for, for the guests that, uh, that we bring you every week. And uh, I think uh, we had a home run with both of those guys tonight. And I hope you uh, agree with that folks. Thank you again for choosing to listen to this show tonight. We really appreciate the fact that you're making us a part of your golfing content until next week. Hit them straight. My friend.